Welcome to Behind the Fiction, the book lovers podcast, where we deliver interviews, insights, and ideas to passionate book lovers who want to stay in the stories they love. I'm Alexa Larberg, and this is episode 17 for September 20th, 2019. And today's guest is EA, aka Liz, Copen. In this episode, Steve and Liz chat about the Hellbent Halo series, how her main character ended up with a pet spider, and her writing process. Can you believe that she writes 6,000 words a day? Now, I'm going to remind you again. You need to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel so that you can get insider knowledge. Now, let's get to the show. Liz Copen, welcome back to Behind the Fiction. Good to be back. People who read most LMBPN books are used to a certain colorful language, especially if they started reading the early books from Michael Anderley, whose primary character was well known for her flair with uh, swearing. And you mentioned before we started recording that you wanted, you didn't want people to be shocked by the, the series we're going to be talking about today, which is Hellbent Halo, because there is some swearing and some other stuff in there. So Let's give a little disclaimer for anybody out there who's read LMBPN books and doesn't like swearing. Oh, yeah. Josiah, the main character, he's Australian. Uh-huh. If you've ever met an Australian. Oh, nobody swears talk. like the Aussies. Yeah. <laughs> they're good at it. <laughs> and they can get really creative with it. And they're, they use it liberally like, like a good spice. So that's Josiah. Um, and he doesn't care what you think of him. <laughs> so... Aside from all the the cursing, I mean, there's um, there's definitely violence and and lots of fighting. It's definitely action oriented urban fantasy, but it's a little bit darker than the Lazarus stuff. It leans more towards like uh, more like a Sandman Slim or a Hellblazer comic or something like that. Okay, so you have been warned. Now, in the last the last time we talked on the on the Monday show, you mentioned that Josiah has a spider. He does, and readers really seem to like Millie the spider. Um, I wasn't sure she would go over so well, but people just like latched onto her like she's some sort of mascot. Um, and me being arachnophobic, actually. <laughs> oh, no, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hate spiders. I had to go to my friend who owns a spider. She owns a tarantula and a scorpion. Uh-huh. And I, I wasn't brave enough to hold the tarantula, but I did ask her some questions and did my research. Um, but watching research videos of tarantulas and stuff like that, at first it kind of made my skin crawl, but uh, after a few videos, you just kind of realize that they're kind of drama queens. So, <laughs> so is Millie a tarantula? She is a magical tarantula from another dimension. Even better. Even better. Yes. She's so very when, sassy. When you were... When you were thinking through this character, did you consider other pets? I did. He was supposed to have a dog because I like dogs. Who doesn't like dogs, right? <laughs> um, but every time I would try to ride it with a dog, it just it didn't work. And so my friend posted a picture of her tarantula on Facebook, and I said, that's it. That's what he needs. And it worked. <laughs> It is definitely unique. When you when you told me that, I'm like, oh man, that's really clever. And I have to tell a quick spider story. I go running with a group of guys. Well, it's not a. There are three of us. We go running on Thursday mornings, and we're just coming into the time of the year before the time changes again, where it is pitch dark when we start running. 
and we're running along a fairly crowded road or busy road, but there's not much light and it's surrounded by trees on one side and bushes on the other side, the, the area that we run on. And you'd never want to be first in line because you catch all the spiders. And there's nothing quite like being a sweaty mess and then running face first into a spider web. It is awful. And so I, I always, amongst the three of us, it's always a race to see who can go the slowest until the sun <laughs> comes up and we can actually see. So I, I share your dislike for, uh, for spiders, but I love the idea of having it as a, as a character in the book. Um, Ozzy, why did you, why did, why is Josiah an Ozzy? Why did you, why did you pick that? Um, it just, it worked, um, partially because I didn't want to do British because John Constantine's British and I wanted to do something kind of definitely non-American because this is my way of sort of poking fun a little bit at all the Americanisms because he'll comment on, you know, mm -hmm. how much, how big our portion sizes are and how much we like our guns and all that sort of thing. Um, so I was watching, I was looking for something to watch on, on Netflix and the show Rake came up and I watched the first episode of it and I said, that's Josiah. That could be him if he was a lawyer. So the guy in, in that show was Australian. So he became Australian. That's interesting. I've seen previews for that, and I, I thought the show looked really interesting, but I just assumed it was a British thing. Oh, it's Australian, and it's hilarious. Okay, so I, I, do, I have to give that a go. Um, in, your, in the blurb for this book, and the blurb was really well written. I'm, I'm going to just quote here. If you like smart mouth heroes, noir-style settings, and stories that flip tropes on their head, then you'll love E.A. Copen's thrilling novels. So let's talk about flipping tropes on their head. That seems to be, I mean, just the whole idea of the spider instead of the dog. <laughs> I can see that that's sort of a thing of yours. That's, yeah, it is something that I enjoy doing. Um, I like for stories to be somewhat comfortable where you're familiar with what, what you think is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then just for bam, right in your face, it's going to change. And you're not, you're going to say, oh, no, I didn't see that coming. But the second time you read it through, you're going to say, ah, oh, I saw that coming. Mm -hmm. I did see that coming. I just didn't realize I was being set up for that. That's, yeah, that's the best way to be surprised as a reader, to, to have that kind of surprise where you go back and go, oh, yeah, she did let us know, kind of, sort of, if we were really paying attention. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier beta readers. What... What part do your, does your beta team play in the creation process for you? Um, they basically read as I'm posting the chapters to uh, Google Docs. And so this is like you're getting real-time feedback on the book. Yeah, yeah, as I go. And so if, there's, if something's not working, I had a book somewhere where I had established a rule for how the magic worked several books ago, and they caught it. And it changed like the whole progression of the book because I'd messed it up. And I had this whole like three chapter sequence that I had to be like, well, guess I'm not doing that now. 
What have you learned? We, we, mentioned, we, we discussed on Monday that you've, you've been writing at least the Lazarus Codex for around a year and a half. What have you learned like from book one in that series to um, you're, you're publishing, you published book 10 earlier, and this is the third book today in the uh, Hellbent Halo series. What have you learned over the course of the last 18 months in writing those 13 books? Um, probably the number one thing is to not fight the characters. Uh, sometimes Lazarus is just going to do stupid things, uh, and I can't stop him. Uh, uh, that's just human nature. And sometimes I have to, to go back and say, okay, we have to acknowledge that you're doing something stupid. And you have to acknowledge in the narration, yes, I know uh -huh. this is stupid, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's a good way of dealing with, with the kind of things that a reader would say, that's really stupid, why would he do that? Well, you can just have the character acknowledge it. Oh, oh yeah, you can get away with a lot if you just have the character acknowledge, yeah, I'm doing this thing and I know that it's kind of stereotypical or it's stupid, oh well, I'm doing it anyway. But, you know, we're human beings, we do the same. you have laid out works. Yeah, it's like if I'm writing a Hellbent Halo, it's what would WWJD, what would Josiah do? Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's I just got to get in their head and say, okay, I am this character. What are they going to do faced with this situation and this amount of knowledge? And do you ever write yourself into a corner by doing it that way? Absolutely, all the time. <laughs> is, is, is that fun, or is it fun to get out of it, or do you bang your head on the desk and say, what was I thinking? Both. <laughs> it, it's, it's challenging, um, and yes, I do bang my head on the desk and go, why did I do this to myself? But if it's, if it's easy for me to go from, place, from one point to the next, it's too easy for them. I want my characters to think and to have to work for it. I don't mm -hmm. want to have to hand them any, anything. Okay, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the first two books in the series. Just sort of, I mean, you mentioned that the character came out of the Lazarus Codex because you needed this character in there. Why did you decide to, to do the spinoff series first? And then how did you decide the direction uh, for it to take it a little bit darker? Um, I was originally intending to do a, a spinoff series with uh, Kaleida Morningstar, who is the daughter of the devil, she has a narration part in Hellbent Halo, but she's not the main character. Um, I knew I needed to kind of tell the story of what's going on in Hell, because there's basically a civil war in Hell. Mm -hmm. And they're deciding who's going to be the next devil because something happened to him. Um, and I knew there was more to it than just like 
I could do in a, in a background in the Lazarus Codex. So when Josiah kind of became a character in the Lazarus Codex, he just had such a force of personality. I fell in love with him as a character. And then when the book came out and all the other readers were like, yes, I like this guy. I said, okay, I guess he gets, he gets the spotlight and Kaleida can kind of be in the background a little bit. And as for like why I took it a little bit darker, I would say I was definitely influenced by picking up Sandman Slim mm -hmm. at Dragon Con in 2018. And I said, I want to write a book like this. And so that's kind of where that came from. I suspect that everyone listening to this has heard of Dragon Con, but most people have probably not been to Dragon Con. What's that, what's that like? Oh, it's a ton of fun. Uh, I've been three times. It's something like 90,000 people or 100,000 people. Oh, my God. All crammed into like four blocks in Atlanta. It's hot. It's sweaty. And it's nerdy as hell. So, <laughs> <laughs> Do you get dressed up? And is it, is it like a costumey kind of thing? Or? Yeah, some people do some really amazing cosplays that they spend all year working on. And uh -huh. I don't, but I go to see the cosplay. And I'm just amazed at what they got like moving parts and robotics and like life-size R2-D2s that roll around. It's crazy. Wow. And does your husband go with you? Is he into this kind of thing as well? He went last year and this year, and this year we took my kids too. So it was a ah, big thing. How old are your kids? They're 10 and 12. Oh, so they're right in the, uh, the sweet spot for something like this, I would yeah. think. Did they love it or was it? Oh, they loved it. Okay. Yeah. I could imagine being 10 years old and being overwhelmed by being in a, a, a close proximity with that many people. But there's a ton of people there, but the way that it breaks down, there's so many different tracks. Um, there's like, I hang out in the urban fantasy track and go to all their panels. There's like a gaming track where you can spend all day playing miniatures and board games and stuff. There's science fiction. There's, I mean, if you, if you have an interest, you can just kind of stick with that track of programming and you'll never be with more than a hundred or 200 people in a room at a time, really. Okay. All right. So let's do a little history of EA Copen now. Uh, on your website, I, I do exhaustive research. I read the whole paragraph bio of you on your website, and you mentioned working in retail. Yep. I so, worked in retail probably about 10 years. And was that great, awful, both? Uh, it was a job. Uh -huh. uh, it's not a great job. It wasn't a great job for me. Uh, while you're physically busy, it's not very mentally engaging. So it left a lot of time for my brain to kind of spin up, you know, probably 40, 50 years worth of stories that I still have to tell. Uh -huh. And it, it makes you develop a sort of cynical sense of humor. And those flow through your characters. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that, that dry snark is definitely from my detail. <laughs> Okay. All right. So there's, there is a big benefit that came out of that. Yeah, I guess so. Now, are you a full-time writer now? I am a full-time writer. How much time do you spend in front of your keyboard tapping away at it on a daily basis? Because I know I, I have, I think I've seen that you try and write about 3,000 words a day. I'm, I'm trying to do about 6,000 words a day. Oh my goodness. Um, and that takes anywhere from four to six hours. Uh, and that's just the writing part of it. Then I've got the marketing stuff in the background and all of that to do. Mm -hmm. So it's, 
eight hours a day, six to seven days a week. Is it every bit as glamorous as you thought it would be when you were thinking, oh, if I could only be a full-time writer? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I love what I do. Uh -huh. um, and I wouldn't ever trade it for anything else I've ever done in the past. But um, there's this sense that at some point you're going to, you get some kind of like moment, an explosion of, you know, this is a big sign. You've made it. This is your, your congratulatory handshake. And there, there really isn't. It's kind of like you see the overnight successes of some writers, mm -hmm. but it's a slow build that you don't see that happens in the background. I remember one of the first book conferences I went to, there was a, this was a traditional conference, a, a mystery thriller conference. And you know, one of the best known mystery thriller writers in the world was standing up giving, a, I think it was a lunchtime speech. And one of the things that she said that just really struck me was that like, this is my 12th book and they've all been bestsellers up to this point. But I know with every single book that I write that this is the one that's going to kill my career. And so there's, I don't know that there's ever that sense that, yeah, I've, I've done it. I've made it. I can just knock these things out and they're going to be great. Oh no. If you sit back and relax, it's, it can uh, get away from you. So, I mean, even if you're not, even if I'm not writing, I've got to be engaging with fans and just being, being there and being EA Copen, you know? Yes. And so you mentioned engaging with fans and we will put links to where you engage with fans, but I, I know you have a Facebook group, maybe a couple Facebook groups. Uh, just the one Facebook group. Okay. So you have a page and a group then. Yeah. Okay. And so um, how do people find you on Facebook? I'm on Facebook. My page is EA Copen. And then my group is EA Copen's book wizards. And everybody, everybody that joins book wizards has made an honorary wizard. Nice. <laughs> And, and then with the EA, is it E period, A period? Yes. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember. I was searching on it and I, I, I know I had to do it twice to get the right one. So I couldn't remember what that was. And so where else do you hang out online or is it mostly Facebook? It's mostly Facebook. I'm semi-active on Instagram. Uh, I believe the account's author EA Copen. Uh, I don't really do a lot of social media outside of Facebook. I'm okay. old. <laughs> Does uh, my kids tell me I'm old because I use Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, um, yeah. My friends that are older than I am um, love Facebook, and uh, so yeah, th there we are. <laughs> so Instagram, how uh, have you had success engaging with fans uh, w as an author on on Instagram? Somewhat. I don't do a lot of authory stuff there. Um, ninety percent of my Instagram is either pictures of my cats or coffee. Because <laughs> that's ninety percent of my life outside of writing is cats and coffee. <laughs> okay. And, and you, are you just talking about just drinking coffee so that you can stay engaged through the course of the day, or are you like a coffee snob, a person who? I, goes out I am a coffee snob, actually. Um, I hate Starbucks coffee, for example. <laughs> and, I mean, I've got a my husband gets on me all the time. I've got to have this expensive coffee. I went and got the expensive coffee makers and mm -hmm. I don't want it if it's not the best that I can make. <laughs> all right. So we learned, we learned a couple new things about EA Copen today, including that. And I am the opposite when it comes to coffee. I just like a lot of it and I don't really care what it tastes like, although I don't like Starbucks either. <laughs> 
said that as silently as I possibly could. So the best place to engage with you is obviously on Facebook. We will have links to your website and to your Facebook group and page in the show notes. Uh, Liz, any words of wisdom as we part through this uh, two-episode section of, of Liz Copen Week, uh, Behind the Fiction? Um, just read as many books as you can. I mean, that's where all the knowledge comes from. Read a book, change a life. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you.